You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Brian Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Coming to you live from, uh, well, it's not live. This is recorded. But I am in the Dells, and I am in my truck, and it is about three below zero, not including the wind chill. This is a little cold, but, um,. We're going to work our way through. I was smart. About 15 minutes before I decided to come out here, I decided I was going to try to heat up the truck. Unfortunately, the engine was still cold and still is cold, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. I'll, I'll take little breaks and crank the heat for about 30 seconds and then resume. I think that's how we're going to play this out. But I also have to ba- battle my battery life, so we're, uh, we're going to have to navigate some stuff here today. But as it is, a little bit of news. Got ourselves another... Uh, grinds my gears question, and then we're going to get into the playoffs, and that'll be about that for today. Before we get it started, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Big shout outs today. Let's see what we got today. We got Billy, we got Topher, and we got Ron on Patreon. And then a big thanks to Sonny and David for jumping on the 300 Club. David with uh, the <laughs> the all-star all-star. He even did 33 cents at the end, so that's that's pretty awesome. Hey, the, the more numbers, the better. If on episode 400 somebody wants to give me $44,444.44, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's a lot of fours. Something to think about. Mull it over. we got another uh, 99 days or so. I mean, I'm not going to be ridiculous and say you should give me $400,000. That's crazy whatever, but, you know, whatever. 44 is not that much. What is it, a year's salary for some people? It's not like you're not going to go to work next year. Jeez. But a big thank you to them. Otherwise, Packernet.com. Enter. Not saying it wrong today. Packernet.com for all your news, notes, and information. NFLBigBoard.com to check out all your draft stuff. I don't know if I'm going to have time this weekend to get her done because it's a busy family deal. But if I can sneak away for a few minutes and give it a shot, I definitely will because I love pushing those updates. Um... Facebook group. Be sure to jump in the old Facebook group if you want to be in the Facebook group. I should sell airplanes, man. Just just give me the biggest thing that there is to sell and let me sell it. I will sell everything you have. Salesman of the year right here. Lastly, if you want to call in with a question, if you want to text a question, or if you want to jump in on the What Grinds My Gears segment, which... I kind of wish I didn't call it that because it doesn't have to be grinding your gears. It's just, a, you know, something for you to talk about, something you want to get off your chest, whatever. But the phone number, 608-501-0718, 608-501-0718. Data and messaging rates may apply. All right, so I want to start this thing off with um, talking about Mr. Morgan Burnett because apparently, I don't know what's going on in Pittsburgh, but I'm slowly coming back onto the uh, Antonio Brown train only because it seems like everybody just wants to get out of there. <laughs> is it really that Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown are just character people, or is it just that that place is just complete trash and it's a unbelievably toxic environment? Because when you got Morgan Burnett 
wanting to get out. I don't remember him ever being a problem, ever. Unless I'm missing something. He's like the ultimate team guy, the ultimate, like, ha-ha looked up to him like a big brother. I mean, he's he's a serious asset. I wanted to keep him real bad. I was very, very upset that we moved on from him after this year, which I kind of feel vindicated considering how terrible our safety situation is, but whatever. Either way, though, the question remains, do we want him back or not? The consensus, according to Packers Twitter, is no. He's old, he's washed up, he's no good, blah, blah, blah. Let me just say right off the bat, there's almost no situation in my mind that I can think of where he wouldn't step on the field and be the best safety we have. I'm not talking... See, and that's the problem when I look on Twitter or wherever. The problem is it's like, oh, well, he's just not good enough. We need something better. Like what? Where are you going to get better? Are you saying that, see, people act like free agency and the draft are like the supermarket where you can just go there, give a certain dollar amount, and they're yours. There's no guarantee you're getting Earl Thomas. There's no guarantee you're getting Deontay Thompson if he even enters into the draft. We, we are one of 32 teams, and there are what, three safeties that you feel comfortable could step on the field and just dominate? I'm just saying leave the options open. I understand he's not as good as he once was, and he never was Earl Thomas, and he's never going to be Earl Thomas, but maybe we shouldn't set the bar at Earl Thomas. Maybe we should just be looking for somebody, and I'm listen, I want Earl Thomas. I'm fine with that. That's great. But I'm saying as a secondary option, let's just, let's just have two people that are playing safety that are starter-quality people. And I'm very sorry if you, don't think, if you think Tremont is one of them. I, uh, I disagree. I like Tremont. I was banging the Tremont drum for a very long time, but he came over here and he wasn't very good. He wasn't very good at corner, and I actually think he was worse at safety, despite everybody wanting to p- pump him up, which, you know, most of it is just wanting to hate on haha Clinton Dix, because if Tremont can come in and dominate, then it just makes their point look better. Like, haha, look, haha's no good. Tremont just shows him how it's done. Well, he didn't. Not only was he also taking really bad angles and not able to tackle people, but he couldn't cover even half as good as haha could. But whatever, I'm, I'm going to try not to keep rehashing that, but, you know. So, the only real question for me is, can he come in and just be like a mediocre safety? Can he just be a reliable starter? Not great, but somebody that can just come in and be, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, other than to say right now we have zero starters. So, first of all, to be completely clear, this entirely old and washed up, haggard safety is only 30 years old. So, he's not, he's not young, but the guys, you know, again... He's not 400 years old. He's not Tremont Williams. He's not Julius Peppers. And the fact of the matter is, is, as best as I can see, he's the same guy he's always been. He's not top tier. He's not elite. He never was. He never will be. But if we're talking about a guy that's going to get basically a minimum contract, a guy that we know is solid in the locker room, granted, the team is completely different. He doesn't know the defensive coaches anymore. New defensive coordinator, Joe Witt's gone. New head coach. You know, haha's gone. Everybody's gone. So it's not like there's this thing that he is coming back to where we know he can just slide back in. No, it's entirely new. But just in terms of bodies, I don't mind it. And then if we can do something in the draft, great. But even if we get a couple guys or a, or one guy in the draft, Morgan Burnett is the perfect kind of guy to have a one-year contract to try to coach guys up, to show people how to play like a professional, how to be a teammate, how to act in a locker room. 
how to study, how to do all these kinds of things. Then after his one year, fine, we can let him walk. But again, this is a very tough year to try to stack up some safeties. If we can get Earl Thomas, fine, we're good. We don't really need it. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he's probably not even going to be a free safety anyways. He's going to be a strong safety. So for me, the reason I would, and I'm not even saying I necessarily want him. I'm just kind of creating a counterpoint to the people that hate the idea of him coming here because he's not elite and we will only accept elite players, which is a ridiculous standard for a team that just has a lot of garbage everywhere. Like, hey, man, our edge rushers aren't great. Maybe we should go out and get some people. Yeah, well, if it's not Khalil Mack, I don't want him. Like, really? I'm not saying we shouldn't aspire to that, but it can't be all or nothing because more than likely we're going to end up with nothing if we follow that philosophy. But again, I, I wouldn't hate it as a one-year... He's not a fix-it. He's not the solution to our problems. Right now at safety, we have a situation where we have a pile of people, not one of which is really any good at anything. With Morgan Burnett, we get a guy that is a sh- as sure a tackler as you're going to find at the safety position. Always has been. Incredible tackler. You know what that is, right? That's called discipline. That's one of the biggest problems this team had. This team had way more talent than we saw production. Morgan Burnett is the exact opposite. He's not the most talented person. He's not the most gifted person, but he's a great teammate. He's a hard worker. He's going to bring that level of energy into the Green Bay Packers uh, locker room. That's what's needed, and that's what's been missing. That would be my counterpoint to saying, yes, we should bring him back. Do I think we're going to? No. Am I going to lose it if we don't? No, of course not. Again, this doesn't solve a lot of our problems, but the idea that it's all or nothing either, you know, we can't get him because we should be getting somebody better, even though there's almost nobody better that we can go out and get, especially when you look at the the value. Now, some of these guys that everybody wants are slightly better than Morgan Burnett, but we're talking about $8 million contracts, and we just assume they're great because they're big names, even though they haven't really done all that much. You know, you look at a guy like Taran Matthew. Is he better? Yeah. Is he a freak? No, man. He's been kind of mediocre for most of his career. But everybody's freaking out. We got to get him. He's so good. Pay him whatever he wants. If we paid $7 million, $8 million for Taran Matthew, Packers Twitter would have just been the happiest they've ever been. But offer up $2 million to Morgan Burnett, who is not anywhere near the character concern that a guy like Taran Matthew is, and they're ever, they're all going to lose it. Oh, we should have got Matthew. He's so good. It's like, nah. But anyways, whatever. But anyways, let's get on to uh, a little ranty rant. Talked very briefly about Mr. Antonio Brown, and that just so happens to be what this topic is about. So without further ado, another segment of What Grinds My Gears. What's up, Pack Daddy? It's Kyle from uh, Kansas again. My whole point on Antonio Brown, and a lot of people have gotten arguments with this about, is you have about four seconds to get rid of the ball when you're passing. Now, Aaron Rodgers, he could he can make stuff happen and delay it, but, you know, you got four seconds. Our guys can't get open in four seconds besides Devontae Adams. Now, my argument with bringing in A.B. is if think about our 2010, 2011, stuff like that. You have Driver, Jennings, Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson was a number three. That's ridiculous when you think about that. And then you throw in James Jones, Jermichael Finley, I understand. But Adams is a better version of Driver. A.B. is a better version of Greg Jennings. Um, And then you got MVS, EQ, Kumaro, whoever, if they could step in to try to be partially 
what Jordy Nelson was in in those years would be incredible. But when everybody says that they don't want Antonio Brown to come to Green Bay, that just it, it infuriates me. I mean, I know he has character issues, but he could help us so much. It it would be the scariest offense in the league. Uh, that's mine. Uh, hey, go Pack Go. So I've talked about this to a pretty lengthy extent at this point, and I've mentioned the conflict that I have, and I think the difference or what the conflict is is a head and a heart issue. My heart wants them. My head says no. And then my heart hates my head because, you know, the, the heart gets a little emotional at times. And then my head gets annoyed with my heart for not really thinking things through, and then they have a little bit of a, a conflict. And I'm trying to do a podcast here, and these two can't make up their mind and come to a consensus, and I'm kind of relying on these guys to help me out. Not a whole lot of other body parts I can rely on for this kind of analysis. And um, so I'm, 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 I'm struggling, and I'll let you know how that works itself out. Fortunately, they can't... Uh, I was going to say they, they can't actually hurt each other, but come to think of it, they, they could, and it would... Either way, it would be pretty bad for me. But anyways, he, you will accept Antonio Brown or I am ending this right now. Oh, I hope my heart doesn't get to that point. But, I mean, there's there's no question. I can't argue with a single thing he said in terms of, you know, and I, I, I also talked about yesterday at length about the benefits that you would have with an Antonio Brown. And, and as a defense, what can you possibly do? Assuming Lafleur and Hackett and these guys can come together and find ways to actually be productive. Because as we've seen, I mean, not just from McCarthy, I don't want to pick on him, but from a lot of teams, uh, it's not impossible to have quality players and not be able to make it go. But, you know, the more I've been doing this podcast and the longer I've been doing it, the more I've realized, especially when we talk about the Packers and Gutekunst, the importance of the locker room. What is wrong with the 2018 Green Bay Packers? Is Do you really think that the talent on the 2018 Packers is the problem? What about specifically the players? Aaron Rodgers, why is he so off? Is he just a bad quarterback now? Why did Nick Perry have such a bad year? It's not because he's that bad of a player, because he's never been that bad. Why was Clay Matthews so bad? Why was was um why why did Mercedes Lewis completely fall off? Why did Jimmy Graham have maybe his worst year ever? Is it just everybody just happened to come off come to a cliff this year? Like this is it? all at different ages, different points in their careers, different contract situations. It just all happened to be this year. What what happened to HaHa Clinton Dix? Not only with his play, but his attitude. What happened to Ty Montgomery? I said it over and over and over again, there is a funk in the locker room. And something else I've alluded to in the past is how close this team was. When you go back to the 2010-2011 Green Bay Packers, it just blew me away how despite hearing all the nonsense that was going on around the NFL and different problems and different spats and different media stunts and all the nonsense that was going on, you just hear like, I mean, it was like good, wholesome Wisconsin, Midwest, you know, going to Jordy's farm, hanging out, like just doing good, clean, fun stuff. You know, our our offensive line, they get together and they play board games like a bunch of dorks, but they're all just friends and they act like kids. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I, I would have been disappointed. I don't know if I'd have been all that surprised if I heard that, you know, the, the cornerbacks got together and had a slumber party in the locker room. You know, they, they watched Scarface and, and slept in sleeping bags. I had to make it kind of cool and say Scarface. I don't want to watch, you know, the Muppets or anything. I think there was an absolute funk, and it, it was it was the, the coaches weren't able to motivate anymore. The players just didn't care. Everything got stale. 
And then you started to see people lash out. You started to see Ty Montgomery have an attitude issue, and he deliberately defied the coaches. And what did Brian Gutekunst do? He came in and he said, you're gone. As a matter of fact, he laid down the gauntlet and said, anybody pops off at the mouth and doesn't get in line, you're gone. And that's up to and including the coaches. This is the way it's going to happen. This is what Green Bay football is. You will either be in line or you will be out. You look at the new head coach. It wasn't about production. It was about fit. It was about your attitude, your demeanor. What do you want? And the fact of the matter is this is a young, hungry head coach who's motivated to get in here and turn things around. They have put in so much effort into cleaning this up and then now trying to get in and fix the locker room, which is to change the attitudes that are left because there's going to be some remnants. Forget for just one second what Antonio Brown's potential talent is and potential impact is. What sense does it make to go through what we went through in 2018 to clean out the locker room, to clean out the coaching staff, to re- to put this thing all back together and then to tell everybody this is going to be a new day and a new era and to try to help your head coach to be successful and to empower him. And then you drop Antonio Brown in the middle of this situation and he comes in with all his swagger and all his money and he's flying helicopters in and nobody can tell him what to do. And he's going to bring his Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach onto the field and I don't care who doesn't like it and the coach is going to get in his face and say, you can't do that. And he's going to say, I do whatever I want and he's going to go walk off the practice field and he's going to go storm off. And now there's a little bit of a rivalry and a battle going on where you got some players that like Antonio Brown and they think that the coaches are being, you know, it's it's not a player's thing. These guys are too heavy-handed and too hard, and why are they coming down on them like this? Who cares? It's not a big deal. You cause this division. You cause all this. And for what? It Listen, it, it either matters or it doesn't. You can't say, listen, the locker room is super important, and if you want to win, you got to have a unified focus. I talked about the Rams and the, the lack of talent they have in certain places, and the Chiefs and the lack of talent, but when you watch them play, that is a unit. That is a unit. They come. To, it's not a bunch of individual freaks. It's a unit. Individual freaks don't win in the NFL. This isn't the NBA. You can't have one or two guys that are just dominant that just carry a team and go out and win championships. You have to have a unified vision and a unified focus. Gutekunst recognizes that, and he spent the entirety of 2018 trying to fix the damage that has been done by the lackluster approach that has been taken by Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy just letting this thing run itself. And it was Mark Murphy initially that came in and saw this because he's out doing his own thing and everybody else is doing their own thing. And you want to know why the structure is the way that it is? Because he turned around and he saw what was going on and he saw a bunch of guys that just didn't care and they're just letting everything fall apart and he said enough is enough. He came in and he, he moved the GM and he got a new GM and the new GM's focus is we're going to fix this and I don't care what it takes. We're going to fire people. We're going to do whatever. We can't allow this. This is about being the best and if you're not going to come here and try to be the best... And, and and win for the Green Bay Packers. If your focus isn't this team and it's on yourself and all you care about is yourself, we're going to have a little bit of a problem. Now, there's going to be those people. Aaron Rodgers might be one of those people. I don't really know. But we're not going to dump gasoline on a fire here. This is a very, very young team with a lot of very young, impressionable young guys. You go to Aaron Rodgers and you teach him to be a leader to teach these guys how to be. Devontae Adams can be a leader of these wide receivers. Devontae Adams is a very good leader and a very good example to the other wide receivers. Antonio Brown is not. Aaron Jones had had an issue with his running with the law, but otherwise seems to be a very good, upstanding person. Jamal Williams seems like a really good guy. 
there really aren't a lot of people that I have a problem with. And the people that I do have a problem with, it's not so much a character concern issue as it is just a lackluster, I don't care, I'm going through the motions issue. And a lot of these guys are going to be gone. Nick Perry and Clay Matthews. I think Clay Matthews has a little bit of that syndrome going on. We need an infusion of energy, and that's the hope, and that's the focus. But we got to stay unified in that focus. And if that means not bringing on Antonio Brown, fine. We're not going to bring on Antonio Brown as much as he might help this team. It, it, it's, it's like trying to untie your right hand so that you can tie up your left hand. What is the point of that? Again, talent is an issue, but it wasn't the issue. It wasn't the reason 2018 was as bad as it was. The talent was way better than the production. The problem was all the attitude and the lack of focus and the lack of energy and the lack of determination, the lack of drive, the lack of focus, the lack of unity. Antonio Brown helps none of that. Does he help talent? Yeah, to a big degree. And again, if we get him, I'm going to be doing backflips like everybody else. So don't come at me like, oh, ha ha, we got him, burn. Dude, I'm excited. I'm just telling you why it makes sense to not touch him. You cannot have guys that are openly doing whatever they want. They don't care. He walked away from his team. He got into a dispute with his quarterback, which, by the way, you think Aaron Rodgers isn't going to get in his face when he feels like something isn't going right? And what's going to happen? Antonio Brown packs his stuff and walks out and says, I'm done. Forget the Packers. Forget Aaron Rodgers. He's a bum. Forget these these backwoods redneck fans. See how much you like Antonio Brown when he starts firing off on Twitter about your trash coach and how much he doesn't know anything and how he's a bum, how Aaron Rodgers is, is, is overrated. Suddenly he's not going to be the hero of, of Packer fans anymore. He's going to be worse than Martellus Bennett. And I know I'm coming up with random scenarios that don't necessarily have to happen, but I'm saying there's no reason that kind of stuff wouldn't happen because he's the kind of guy that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And if i got a problem with you, my solution to that problem is to walk away to run away. I'm not going to honor my commitments. I don't have, I mean, and, and it, the Pittsburgh Steelers have given him everything. All his money, all his fame, all his success comes from his his coach that he abandoned, his, his quarterback that he abandoned, the other wide receivers that he has fought and bled with. He walked away from them. And while everybody else is saying, where are you going, man? He doesn't answer their phone calls. He doesn't call them back. He goes off and he's flying around jet-setting, doing television shows and doing whatever he wants. He's just off having a good time. He doesn't care. He has no sense of duty, no sense of, of team, no sense of any of that. He doesn't care. It's all about Antonio Brown. I don't know that it's worth it. You want to invest a lot? Fine. Draft a wide receiver in the first round. You want to over-invest in talent? Fine. Trade up. Or maybe go out and get somebody else in free agency that maybe isn't quite as good, but is going to be somebody that can fit in with your team. I can't, as the GM of the Green Bay Packers, start over. And, and this is my entire career we're talking about. I'm the one, along with some help, but I'm the one that put my name and my career and my life on the line on this new head coach. And I'm not going to sabotage him with a player like Antonio Brown. I can't have him being undermined. Again, there's a reason I got rid of HaHa Clinton Dix, and it's not because he couldn't play well. He's better than the safeties we have. There's a reason I got rid of Ty Montgomery. It's not because of how bad he is, although he wasn't great. We have a lot worse players on this team than Ty Montgomery. It's because he was given a direct order, a direct instruction. You do not take it out of the end zone. He took that ball, he ran it out of the end zone. Fumble or not, you're gone. Don't you ever, ever 
And this is a message not so much to him because he's gone. This is a message to everybody else. You will fall in line or you will be gone. And again, this is the message that we're telling everybody. And what does it tell the team? What does it tell the coach? What does it tell everybody if we go out and get a guy like Antonio Brown? Apparently, I didn't really mean what I said. Or if you play well enough, you can get away with whatever you want. You just, you can't do that. I know we want him. I want him. I want that production. I want a guy that can go for 1,500 yards and 13 touchdowns. I want to have the the number one and the number six wide receiver in the NFL on this team, along with Aaron Jones in an improved run game. Yeah, I would love that. That would be awesome. I'm just telling you it doesn't make any sense. Does it fit a lot of the criteria that we're looking for? Of course it does. You want to go all in. You want to win the Super Bowl this year. That That's one of those moves. That's one. But if I'm going all in on somebody, I'd rather it be somebody like Earl Thomas. Now, I'm not saying rather based on the impact they could have. I think Antonio Brown might even be a bigger impact than Earl Thomas. But he, he checks more boxes than just being, granted, he flipped his team off when he got carted off the field. But slightly different circumstances. I think this is, I mean, he's one of the last remaining Legion of Boom members. He stuck with that team for a very long time. He held out. The team said, fine, you can hold out all you want. I'm not giving you another penny. He said, fine, I'll play for you guys. And his season was ruined, and potentially his future was ruined as a result of it. And yeah, he, in a moment of rage at how his team handled his situation, he flipped them off. In my opinion, that's a slightly different situation. Should he have done it? Probably not, but whatever. But that that's just where I'm at. Yes, 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 I want him. Yes, if we get him, I'm going to be freaking out about the potential production. But I don't see us doing it for the reasons that I laid out, and it does make sense. I think it it absolutely makes sense. We need this team to be a team. You have to come together with a focus that is not set. Antonio Brown doesn't get to pick the focus. He doesn't get to pick the direction. He doesn't get to pick the scheme. He doesn't get to pick the routes he runs, how many balls he catches. He's not a veteran. He's a new guy. Aaron Rodgers is top dog. The coach is top dog. Gutekunst is top dog. There's a lot of big top dogs out here, and not one of them is going to be named Antonio Brown. He's going to have to come in here and fall in line and follow all the rules to the letter of the law. And I have no reason to believe that he would go along with that. Maybe at first, like, yeah, sure, I'll do whatever you want. But the second he doesn't get what he wants, what happens? He calls up his... his limousine driver to come pick him up take him over to the helicopter pad and fly off to miami to go party with some of his friends you just can't man that's all there is to it just can't do it sorry so anyways very briefly i want to talk about these uh playoff games and then we'll be out of here unfortunately i don't know how many of these games i'm going to be able to watch because of like i said yesterday i am on vacation it's our last full day here it's our only full day here so you know again for the newlyweds out there If you have one full day with the family, you probably don't even want to ask, hey, would you mind if I stay in the entire day and watch football? Unless your wife and kids are super into that kind of stuff, in which case, congratulations. So first thing out of the gate, we got the Rams, we got the Saints. Obviously, as Packer fans, we want the Rams to win because then, well, we get a higher pick in the draft. Not much higher, but higher. And the more I look at it, despite... You know, before I really looked into it, I thought this is going to be the Saints are going to win and probably the Patriots are going to win and that'll be the end of it. But the more I look at it, I just don't know, man. I really do think the Rams are the better team in this game. So first of all, if you were to look at Pro Football Focus, you would see the number one team in the NFL is the Rams. The number two team is the Saints. So you got the top two teams and actually hilariously tied with the Saints is the Patriots. And then the number three or number four technically would be the uh, Chiefs. 
So top four remaining teams are the top four pro football-focused teams. But I know, PFF is trash. They don't know what they're talking about. Bears, Eagles, Texans, Colts, and Chargers are the next <laughs> the next in line. But yeah, they're trash. I know. I get it. But basically, when I'm looking at these two teams, the, the biggest thing that stands out, and granted, you know, some of the more recent teams that the Rams have played have not been all that great, but they have gotten stronger as the season has... Well, I shouldn't say that. The last few weeks, they've gotten a lot stronger. They actually had a terrible stretch when I started talking about watch about watch the Rams, watch them fall apart, watch all this stuff. Jared Goff was playing absolutely horrific football week 13, 14, and 15. But since then, week 16, 17, and their wild card game against the Cowboys, excuse me, not wild card, but last week's game against the Cowboys, were three very, very impressive games. So essentially, here's what we have. We have a team with a very good offense, a good passing offense, a good pass-blocking offense, kind of iffy on the receivers, very up and down, Um, a a good running team, and actually a relatively good run-blocking team as far as... uh, you know, NFL football teams go. Defense is a little bit more iffy. Everything's kind of volatile. So for the Rams on defense, it really just is a matter of showing up. So, you know, if you look at uh, the last five weeks of, of their ability to cover, three weeks, very, very good. The last two weeks, however, just kind of mediocre. Pass rush generally is not very good, despite having one guy on their team that's pretty awesome. It's just, it's not that great. But overall, they have a very good offense, and I would say above average to pretty good defense. The interesting thing with the Saints, as much as you know, I've been really impressed with their team overall, they've really fallen off quite a bit. No question, weeks 1 through 12, this was easily the best team in the NFL. Overall, they were, they were elite for the last three, three of those weeks, so what, 10, 11, 12? Since then, they have been between average and good. Their offense has not been very good even once in that stretch from week 13 on. Drew Brees, as a passer, has only had three of those six games that were any good. Two of them were barely average. One was actually below average. The pass blocking is relatively decent, but remember with the Saints, and they they almost lost to the Eagles for this reason. They have good tackles, but their interior is complete trash. Now think about that. If the Rams have any pass rush, where's it coming from? Their outside linebackers are garbage. The interior is where they absolutely dominate. Their ability to run the ball, the Saints, has not been very good. Their run blocking is complete garbage. And if they have anything that is considered redeemable on their defense, it's their ability to stop the run. They have no pass rush. They can't cover. So I actually find it interesting because a lot of the podcasts I've been listening to, what they've been saying is, well, I actually think this is going to be a pretty low-scoring game. I think you should take the uh, the under and all this kind of stuff. I don't really see that. The Saints are going to have a very, very difficult time running the ball, as they basically have all year. And despite having really good tackles, again, the interior is garbage, and that's where the, the pass rush is coming from. It's from Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue. So if I'm the Saints, and I'm not mistaken, my thought process is going to be try to get the ball out, which is to say throw the ball. Now, the, the Rams are beatable on the outside. And, you know, if you, if you factor in Drew Brees and, you know, there, there's some debate on whether or not his deep ball accuracy is kind of struggling or whatever. But fine, don't do that. But, but consistently get the ball out quickly, whether it's slant routes, whether you're throwing it to your running back out of the backfield, whatever it is, take advantage of the lack of talent that they have with their linebackers, with your tight ends, with your running backs, and get the ball out quick with your wide receivers. 
you've got easily one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and if they decide to put Aqib Talib on him all day, I still think you can get him open. And Marcus Peters is, is, despite not having a really good number two wide receiver for the Saints, Marcus Peters has been getting beat up all year. And if they don't use Talib to cover up uh, Michael Thomas, then you've got a pretty easy answer. In other words, I see a lot of throwing from the Saints to be able to take advantage of these Rams. Not that they're not going to try to run the ball if they can, you know, maybe try to get to the outside. Again, they've got good tackles if they can utilize these guys and their tight ends to try to get around the outside to mitigate the impact of guys like Donald and Sue and take advantage of the lack of talent at linebacker for the Rams. Maybe you can try to do a little bit of damage, but I don't think running the ball is going to be your best option, especially when you look at from the other perspective, the Rams are probably going to be trying to rack up some serious points. You don't want to get into a fist fight with the Rams by you know trying to chunk your way down the field with run plays going into three and out because you get yourself down 14 nothing to the Rams, you're kind of doomed. Now, from the other perspective, it's very, very similar. Again, the Saints, if they can do anything well, it's stopping the run. And if you look at... Uh, the Rams, with the talent they have on the outside, granted Marshawn Lattimore is a decent cornerback for the Saints, there's just there's too many wide receivers for the Rams. You got Cooks and Lattimore, that's you know probably in Cooks' favor, but then you got Woods on the outside going up against what Eli Apple. The bottom line is the Rams just have way more talent. I think they're a younger, hungrier team with a younger, hungrier coach. You know they don't have the experience, but this isn't. Tom Brady and the and the Patriots with Bill Belichick. It's not like the Saints get into this position all the time and they know how to manage it. I mean, it, this this is they're not really used to this position either. And as far as having a you know looking at the offensive line, the Rams actually have a better group of tackles and their interior is better and their running back is better. So they can do whatever they want with Gurley. They can pound you up the middle. Gurley can, as I've said, surprisingly he's actually a pretty decent uh, receiver this year. They've got a better tight end in Higby, despite not being all that great. Everett is also a decent tight end. There's just too many weapons. And despite not really being super capable of stopping the Saints, I, I just think, I, I, I don't know, man. And we'll, we'll see what happens, but the, the Saints defense just doesn't have what it takes to match up. They, they don't have, yeah, Jordan's really good on the edge, but Havenstein is a great right tackle. Whitworth is great on the other end. The, the Saints pass rush is not that great. I think the Rams are going to be able to do whatever they want. They they can run the ball. They can pass the ball. It's really just a matter of of you know getting the ball away from the Saints a couple times. And and the the best thing that I think you can do is try to bring pressure up the middle as much as you can. If Aaron Donald can wreak havoc up the middle, you're going to really cause problems because the Saints are going to try to move the ball. And if you're forcing quick little dump offs and them trying to run the ball to try to take away the the pressure, they're already losing. So. You know, I know a lot of people think the Saints are the better team, and there's definitely a point in time when that was the case. Obviously, they beat the Rams already. I just don't think at this point in time the Saints are the better team. I think the Rams are the better team, and I do think they win this game. Now, it's possible that maybe the under is the better bet. I don't know. I don't really do all that stuff all that much. Um, but if it is, it's going to probably be because a team like the Saints really just can't get it going, and the Rams just don't really feel the need to. I mean, it doesn't get into shootout territory because the Saints just can't quite get in the end zone. So, anyways, that's my thought. Um, pretty excited to come to that conclusion. It's not a biased conclusion, despite me wanting the Saints. And I listen. Under other circumstances, I'd be more than happy for the Saints to get in. I'd probably be rooting for the Saints, but with us having that, uh, with us having their other pick, it's kind of important for us to, you know, have as good a value as possible. Looking at the next game, I, I, I have no idea. 
I really, really don't. And I'm going to give you my thoughts as best as I can. I, I think I, it's it's sort of like a 55%. I think the Patriots are going to win 45% Chiefs. There's zero question in my mind the Chiefs are the better team as far as talent. That's It's not even really close. But I, I, I think this is about as good a matchup for the Patriots as you can get. Again, not, not from a talent standpoint, but we're talking about young, inexperienced. You, you talk about a quarterback that's you know throwing ridiculous passes that are you know, impressive when it works, but ill-advised. That's the kind of stuff the Patriots live for, man. They they want guys that don't really know what they're doing, that are kind of living off off the cuff, that are all emotion, that are riding high. Because this is this is a team that wants to demoralize you. They want to come out and and show you that you're not going to be able to do what you've been doing all year. And they're going to shut you down, and you're going to get upset, and you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to get confused and not know what to do. And that's when they're going to pounce on you. It's funny. I was actually just watching. Uh, what was it, Dynasties on TV last night? And it was, you know, about lions and whatnot. And they showed this pack of hyenas trying to wear down a male lion. Now, they didn't get the chance because then the lion showed up. But the point is, they were basically just circling him, not doing much. And they picked at him, and they picked at him. And the lion realized he couldn't go anywhere. He was stuck. And he tried to single one guy out, and he'd go get him and try to, like, take him out or whatever. But as soon as he did that, he got bit right in the back again. And the point is, over time, you just kind of get demoralized and realize there's nothing I can do. They're not going to let me go. I can't get out of here. I can't attack any of them. I can't attack all of them. And had the other guy not shown up, essentially what would have happened is he would have got worn down and they would have pounced on him and they'd have killed him. That's the Patriots, man. They frustrate you. They suffocate you. They let you just tire yourself out, punch yourself out, and then they destroy you. The Chiefs got a lot of flash. They have a lot of talent. But if it gets to the point, if you, if we get to halftime and the Chiefs just do not look like the Chiefs and you're going, what is going on with the Chiefs? I think we have our answer. Now, looking at it a little more deeply, the, the Chiefs' offense has been great all year. I mean, it's very rare to see this, but the offense has just been solid all year. They've never had even an average game. Every game has either been good, very good, or elite. Every single game. As far as passing offense, and we're basically talking about Mahomes here, almost every game was exactly the same. Either good, very good, or elite. There's only, what, four games that were in the average category. Most of them were kind of above average. In other words, high 60s, I guess. The pass blocking for this team has been good all year. The receiving has been relatively good all year, although that is falling off, which is somewhat of a concern. The ability to run the ball has been good, especially in the second half of the year. They've been solid doing that. And even their run blocking is not bad comparatively. Compared to other NFL teams, it's not bad. The biggest concern would have been defense, but even that's starting to turn around. Starting in about week seven or so, they've only had two below-average games defensively. Their run defense isn't fantastic. Their tackling is, is pretty terrible, but that pass rush is pretty lethal. Now, this is where it gets to be somewhat problematic because it's there's certain facets they do well and certain facets they do pretty horribly, and that's what the Patriots love. So your pass rush is great. Well, who cares? We've got ways around that. First of all, Tom Brady always sits in the pocket comfortably because the pass blocking is always just on point. But even when it's not, they get the ball out very quickly. There's always somebody open, which the coverage for this team is not super great. They're not able to stop the run very well, so we're going to be running the ball a lot. If you try to get up the field, we can do the the uh, you know we can do delayed handoffs, we can do screens, we can do all kinds of stuff to get you to stutter a little bit. The Patriots should be able to do work against this defense. The only way the Chiefs win is if they can just work over the, the Patriots' defense and just completely dominate. The Chiefs look unbelievable. I mean, listen, what the Chiefs did to the Colts was incredible because I thought what the Colts did in the wild card was just incredible. They looked like a team that was going to go all the way. 
The Chiefs come in and just embarrassed them. They dominated their defense. Their defense dominated the Colts' offense. It's just this this was the most dominant team anywhere. They got to bring that again. And if they can do that to the Patriots, I don't see any reason why they can't win the Super Bowl. The question is, though, again, you've got the young guns who maybe aren't as disciplined, who are going to go out there and start playing like it's the Wild West. And if Bill Belichick and Tom Brady know how to do anything, it's how to tame a wild animal. Look at what they did to the Falcons. That was the most masterful thing that I think I'd ever seen. The Falcons came out flying. They put all their energy, and I've mentioned this before, but I remember saying they got to slow down. That defense was going so fast, it's like by halftime, you guys are dead. Now, you would have thought it was completely out of reach, but they had just enough time to make a comeback and win that game. But that's exactly what they do. They don't give up. They just keep coming. It doesn't matter what the deficit is. They will never stop, which is why you need a full 60 minutes from the Chiefs. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of calling it a split, but I, I do tend to think the Patriots are going to win the game. Again, not because of the more talented team, because they are not. But as we talked about earlier with Antonio Brown and everything else, talent is, is a factor, but it's not the factor. It's not the most talented team that wins, especially when we're talking about playoff football. It comes down to discipline. It comes down to unity. It comes down to this is the focus. This is the way we play. And every single person that steps onto this field has that same energy, same focus, same vision. We all agree. We're all going to work toward it. We're all going to have the same attitude. We're all going to be of one mind. It's how and why the Patriots win. And again, getting back to the Antonio Brown thing, you want to be like the Patriots, you gotta you you gotta be like the Patriots. The Patriots are they don't tolerate now, yeah, they'll go out and get guys like Antonio Brown, but they don't they don't tolerate nonsense. Guys go there and they play and they, they follow and they fall in line. And if they don't fall in line, they go away. So anyways, very, very excited for football today. I'm very much hoping for uh Chiefs Rams Super Bowl if for no other reason than it's a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl, and that's just kind of ridiculous and awesome. But we'll see. We'll see if the the, uh, the refs decide to let the Chiefs win this one. But uh, anyways, I'm going to get going. i got to get back after it. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Uh, bye bye